This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome back to a Monday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. The full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am joined as I am twice a week on this very show with fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green down there in Decula, Georgia. Matt, good morning. How are you? Morning, sir. I'm uh, ready uh, ready to get back at it. I know we, uh, we, we missed a, an episode from our viewers, you know, and you do a Thanksgiving travel going on. So uh, we're, we're, I'm ready to bounce back. I'm I'm glad we're back in the saddle. I'm glad we're back in the saddle, but I will say it it was always going to be hard last week. And I, I kind of wanted to just say like I'm I'm just taking the week off. I was I was pretty tired. Finals was going on, traveling back to Atlanta for a little bit. Um I don't know. I, I was a little zonked, uh Matt. So it uh it's good to be back, but um yeah, don't I don't like not doing the podcast because I just feel like I just uh, it's just something that I need to do. Um, well, don't forget, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go check out chasenosepodcast.com. Um, go check out the newsletter, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Um, wrote a newsletter post on that one day this week. Um, but yeah, go do that. Follow Matt at Matt underscore W underscore green. Follow me at Chase double underscore thomas um what did you end up watching during the break matt i felt like this was like a perfect weekend for a college football fan it's it it didn't seem like any any like real games of interest overlapped at all so it's just like you had all day friday you just had iowa state texas notre dame north carolina and then oregon oregon state like in our in our night game and then Saturday, uh, you know, the Iron Bowl. I, I I feel like every Georgia Georgia fans like just weekly tradition is watching is just rooting for the team who plays Florida and like in the early slate. I feel like it's like I, I look at uh, Twitter and like different Georgia fans and it's like everyone's live tweeting like it's a Georgia game. You're just like, oh, second guessing second guessing calls that the team Florida. You're just constantly hoping that Florida can can uh, can somehow lose, especially when it's a year where George, things aren't going the way Georgia fans want. But um, yeah, and then obviously I watched Georgia South Carolina at night. Um, but yeah, there was a so there. I feel like my my time was divided uh, pretty well. What about yourself? I'm right there with you. I liked having games on Friday. I liked uh, watching Notre Dame North Carolina without any other distractions. I liked. Uh, 
I liked how everything was was set up. I I am right there with you that uh, it was a it was a nice thing. Um, well, uh, there's some news that we got to get to, Matt. I think this is our fault. And I was thinking about this this morning. Um, Derek Mason out at Vanderbilt. Another SEC East coaching change. We talked about him ended up being the longest tenured SEC coach when this is all said and done. And uh, what do they do? They go ahead and axe him. They axe our guy Mason. What do you think? Yeah, we were uh, we were tempting fate there. You knew it was only a matter of time. Um, it's unfortunate for Derek Mason. You know, I feel like everyone likes him. He seems like one of the more likable coaches in college football. Just seems like a real inspirational guy and everything. But at some point, you got to win some football games. You know, it's like obviously we all know Vanderbilt is not a good job, but this whole like notion of Oh, what does Vandy want to be? How can you fire Derek Mason? Like, what are their expectations, really? It's like, I they don't have really a great expectations, but 27 and 54 over seven years, 10 and 46 in the SEC, it's like, that's that's terrible. You know, it's like, maybe he didn't have much of a shot, but, you know, James Franklin had back-to-back nine-win seasons in just three years as Vandy's coach. So James Franklin, unfortunately for Vandy, if they do stumble upon another James Franklin, he has it, that. That's all it would take. It takes two good seasons, and now he moves on somewhere like Penn State, and that's basically always going to happen somewhere like Vandy. But it's just kind of what you got to deal with. You can't, you can't sit through more than seven years of just. Honestly, they weren't even really competitive. Like there's, there's a year there where they they won six games, but like. All in all, the 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 Vander the Derek Mason years at Vanderbilt were just about as bad as it gets. Yeah, I just that job really sucks. Like at least at Northwestern, in jobs like that, you're like, mm, okay, well, our division in this conference, like we're never winning the conference. Probably we're never going to match Ohio State and uh, Penn State and teams like that. But you know, we can have our our good years every now and then. Um, but it's just, it's not a great job. And that's why I just think that like Pat Fitzgerald is probably staying there a little bit too long and he's playing with fire there where if I'm Pat Fitzgerald, I'm, I, if the Bears called this offseason, like I, I, it's time to go. Um, See, but Pat Fitzgerald's had actual success. Yeah. You know, it's like he's had. Well, I think you can, I guess is what I'm saying at Northwestern. You can have some success. You can't really do that. I know James well, Fisher. Like, yeah, like James that. Franklin obviously did a little but Yeah, like. The 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 ceiling or the ceiling is not very high at either, you know. But Pat Fitzgerald, what's he been there ten years now? Like he's maybe longer than that. I think he's going on like fifteen years. But it's like he's had three ten win seasons in that fifteen year span. You know, it's a lot of five and seven, seven and six, even some losing seasons. But he he's an institution at that point. At this point, you know, like he mm. he could never get fired, and he's had enough success to like to build that for him. Like Derek Mason was like, he's a good guy. Everybody liked him and he, he was good for a good, no, no nonsense quote or nice, something nice and inspirational, but you got to win some games at the end of the day. And, but like you're saying, like Vanderbilt is almost an impossible job. And a lot of people question, you know, how much they even care about putting a competitive football team on the field. So it's, uh, it's not going to be easy, but, um, Nashville's kind of a a booming city these days, so that's that's probably the best 
the best kind of thing they got going for them is academics and, and a cool city like Nashville. Have you seen the three names that have come out for this job? Oh, I have not seen any names yet. I, they're, uh, they're interesting. Um, Clark Lee, do you know who that is? I do not know who that is. The Notre Dame defensive coordinator. Oh, okay. Lee played for Vandy. Brent Pry, current DC at Penn State. He coached there from 2011 to 13 with Franklin. Mm-hmm. And then my personal favorite that I am absolutely rooting for, Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher. That would, there's no way in hell. Like, <laughs> how many times is Jeff Fisher's name going to be recycled? Like, it's like, oh, he was good uh, back in, in 2001. Like, even, like, his last how many years of the Titans weren't even good. Like, he's like, I, I don't know. What, what, was, what is it people love about Jeff Fisher? He just, does he, is he a great interview? Like, does he just kill the interview? And everyone's like, yeah, I'm believing in this guy. I don't know. But him back in college, I remember people are obsessed with him getting the USC job for, for a long time. And I was like, eh, eh I, I don't know. Um I uh I don't know what what ends up happening there. I don't think they're going to get a great name, but it would be funny to me. And something that I am rooting for is for Vanderbilt to wind up with a better head coach than South Carolina. That is something I am rooting for. I mean, that there's no chance that happens. <laughs> well, it's... well, if South Carolina hires Shane Beamer, who they did interview. But even if they hire Shane Beamer and Vanderbilt goes out and gets a guy like Jeff Fisher who's got like some name recognition like I don't even think that's a better hire like I mean maybe you know maybe it is because maybe Jeff Fisher doesn't have any other like uh, goals in his career and that he just wants to coach and however long he's got left at Vanderbilt and he's not going to leave for anywhere else I guess that could make it better I just I'm I'm definitely not it's it seems like we're seeing more college kind of impact the pro game kind of those college philosophies getting into the program not like the old school pro philosophy now coming back to college like that that seems like a backwards move. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it should be interesting to see what happens there. It seems like a lot more coaches are getting fired during the pandemic year than I thought. Uh By, by the way, Jeff Fisher mm. Last year coaching was 2016. Mm. One, two, three, four. Last seven years of his uh, coaching career, he did not have a winning record. So I'm not sure what people's obsession is with uh, with Jeff Fisher, but who, who knows? I guess they're big fans of him in Nashville, so maybe they'll uh, maybe you can get that job right. I mean, Herm Edwards is the the best case scenario, right? Where like he just comes in after like a decade plus gone. And wasn't a great coach in the NFL either way, but he built this this great staff. Um, Without a doubt, I feel like some there's something exciting about Herm Edwards, though. Yeah. Like as a character, I don't know. It's like that's something you can like get behind. Like, well, there's something exciting about uh, Jeff Fisher and getting the because you know the memes about eight and eight Jeff Fisher, seven and nine Jeff mm-hmm. Fisher. Like if he can get Vanderbilt to six and six and five and seven every year. Like Vanderbilt fans are just, they're they're losing their minds in Nashville that uh, Jeff Fisher is bringing them mediocrity for the first time in years. 
That's fair because I mean, if they go six and six every year, like they'll take that. Like that's, I want signs two in or, Nashville. That's two or three wins they shouldn't get every year. They'd be cool with that. I would one thousand percent be here for signs that says instead of like we want Bama, we want mediocrity. We should make that thing that uh, Vanderbilt fans. Uh, if you are going to any games this for the remainder of this year, please put together some signs that says. We want mediocrity, which Jeff Fisher said. I don't even think they care about mediocrity. It's like maybe they should just get like one of these, I don't know, Mike Leach kind of guys that you remember how there's that team that beat uh, that De La Salle a few years back and like Mm. ended their winning streak. They were they had apparently like practiced for De La Salle for like a year straight. That's all Vanderbilt needs to do. (laughs) Just have one game on your set. Beat Georgia once every five years. You know, maybe beat Florida once every. And five years is is, uh, even getting greedy. But if you just get like one big win a year and and make some Sports Center highlights, that's all people care about. Just stay like moderately relevant. We'll see who I would hire. And I just think that they, like Derek Mason playing a pro style at Vanderbilt is just, it was never going to work. And their offense actually was quietly a lot better this year. But um, I would go after Monken and at Army. I think that would be priority one. I would see if I can get Monken um, and pry him away from uh, from Army. I would I would install the triple option. Or like you said, with Mike Leach in the air raid, like where you'd actually have a chance once every five years to get a good team just because you have that weird Mississippi State LSU type game. But um, that's what I would do. I would either target some ridiculous air raid guy um, like Seth Luttrell at North Texas or something, and then I would probably target uh, Jay Monken at uh, at uh, Army. What do you think? And that's what it, the only way you're you're gonna like do anything is just by trying to play a completely different game and like just like you said, hoping hoping you can get some people here and there. I've heard South Carolina people kind of want have thrown out Jeff Monken's name too, and I don't know. I feel like South Carolina should should be hoping for more than that than like a gimmicky like triple option like Vanderbilt like okay that makes sense like that's all you guys have mm. but um South Carolina should be looking at Georgia Tech and just be like if you bring in the triple option even if you're successful with it, with it that's as good as it can possibly go like Paul Johnson did have success at Georgia Tech it's like but he just completely like changed what the definition of success was at Georgia Tech. It's mm. like he just completely tore him downhill, but then like had some seed. Like they, he destroyed their recruiting and just kind of their reputation nationally. But their offense was successful kind of every year, and they seemed to kind of beat some people uh, here and there. Yeah. Well, um, USA Today college football writer Dan Wolken has uh, has seen enough from Texas. And uh, has called for Tom Herman to be to be axed. Is Tom Herman the next one getting axed, Matt Green? Because he lost to. Let me check my notes here. Iowa State. Well, there's nothing bad about losing to Iowa State. We need to we need to go ahead and in that. I saw that from this. Like Colin Coward said, Texas should never lose to Iowa State ever. And I'm like, okay, Iowa State is. Maybe the second best team in the Big Twelve. They're they're really good. They're without program. a doubt. There's no yeah, shame in losing to Iowa State. Let's stop. Let's stop doing that. This is not the old Iowa State. This is not the Seneca Wallace Iowa State. Let's let's calm it down. This is a bad loss. Seneca Wallace. And it's not even a one year like kind of blip. They've been like solid for like the last two or three years. 
Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a strange that's a such a that's such a cowherd kind of take, honestly. Like, I feel like some of those national guys enjoy arguing about sports more than actually watching them. And if you've been paying attention to college football at all, like Iowa State's been one of the better programs in the Big Twelve the last couple of years, and Matt Campbell is like one of the hottest names out there. So, I um I, I wonder what they what they would do. It feels it feels so stagnant, like Texas. Texas is one of, for whatever reason, it's becoming like one of the hardest jobs in college football because mm-hmm. it's like there's that level of expectation of it. It feels like uh, it feels like England in in uh, European soccer, mm. like Texas. It's like they've just they they've they've underachieved for for decades, you know, as mm. far as the World Cup goes, and they always feel like like we invented this game like we should be better than everybody and it just doesn't work that way it's like yeah texas football we know how much you guys care about it down there Mm. but unfortunately it takes a little more than just caring a lot you can see that in plenty of sec teams it it means more to to them all but you gotta have you gotta get the right guy and i'm not really sure you know it seemed like charlie strong got a much quicker uh much shorter leash than tom herman granted tom herman has one more games but uh if you go ahead and fire him after just four years you know, now you're firing strong after three years and herman after four years like if i'm a big time coach and like maybe even someone like matt campbell or something that's got a good thing going at the current spot i'm at that might that job might not be worth it just because you know, if I have two bad seasons, I could lose I could lose my job. Yeah, I I don't know if they're getting anybody better. Like I don't I really don't know. Like and I still don't know if it's a Herman thing. Like I think there's a lot of stuff going on at Texas that's just like mm, I don't know. I don't really know what you do there. Um Gary Danielson, uh people were very upset about him calling the Auburn Alabama game friend of the pod who will actually be on this very podcast after um we wrap up here today uh logan booker um tweeted out gary danielson is already gary danielson and it's like nails on a damn chalkboard um nobody likes gary danielson calling alabama games but i do you what, what do you think about gary danielson like does he actually bother you because this is something i've noticed is georgia fans really hate gary danielson my family and friends think that he is very anti-georgia with every game do you actually think that do you do you get that vibe i will say i'm not gary danielson's biggest fan but i think he gets hated on way too much if i'm being honest like it seems like it seems like a lot of fans i don't think it's just georgia fans have just hated on him for years like he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about like with all due respect to to Uncle Vern and Vern Lundquist, I felt like the last like five six years of of Vern Lundquist's career, like he was the worst one. Like he was the one who didn't know players' names anymore. Like Aaron Murphy, like stuff like that. Yeah, like it was like uh, so now. Like yeah, you know, he would say like Aaron Murray gets a tackle on special teams. It's like, bro, I think you can look at the roster and know that there's probably a number, another number 11 who made that tackle. You know what I mean? So I feel like Vern was the one that was struggling in the, in the last several years. Gary Danielson, he's, he's not my favorite. Like I feel like Todd Blackledge or someone is, is significantly better. And, and there's a few, uh, 
of the color commentary guys out there that are, I think are a lot better than him. But yeah, he doesn't bother me. I don't think he's like the biggest homer ever. And he's like, hates Georgia or something. And he's just like that. I, it seems like people always got mad about this. They're, they're like, oh, they're always riding Florida's nuts and Tebow. And oh, now they're riding Alabama's nuts, you know? And it's like, no, maybe those are just the best teams right now. And they're just commenting on it because those are the best teams. You know what I mean? It's No one wants to look at it that way. They just want to think the, the the analyst is just always hating on their team and not giving their team a fair shot. Last note, and we'll move on to what happened this weekend in college football. Um, Desmond Howard, friend of the pod, said that Gators tight end Kyle Pitts is the most unique player in college football. Do you believe that? Um, yeah, I, I, I think you'd have to say that right now. I mean, in terms of unique player, like, I think Jalen Waddle, I probably would have would have said was the best player in the country while he mm. was healthy. But but yeah, I mean right now with with Waddle not like Najee Harris is probably another one of those kind of unicorns because he can just I feel like he can just beat you in every way. But yeah, right now it seems like Kyle Pitts like just looking at the Georgia game like Georgia had Georgia's got multiple guys that should be you know top two three round draft picks at corner and at safety and at maybe even at linebacker and nobody could guard Kyle Pitts. Like Tyson Campbell is a big, like fast athletic corner. And he just got just mossed by a tight end. Like it's insane. But Kyle Pitts is a, he's definitely a matchup problem. And that's, it's, that's why I'm so annoyed by what the Heisman trophy has become where it's just a quarterback award every year. Because as far as I'm concerned, like Najee Harris, Kyle Pitts, and even Devontae Smith, like all three of these guys are like three of the five best players in college football. Like all three of those guys, honestly, like you could make the argument for Kyle Pitts and either of those Alabama guys being candidates for the Heisman over Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. Like we, we all love the quarterback play and everything, but like, I don't feel like I'm not even trying to disrespect, like don't think I'm like trying to hate on Kyle Trask or Mac Jones. But when you watch their games, like they obviously put the ball right where it needs to be. But it just looks like they have so many playmakers that are just making their jobs so much easier. And I don't know, I don't know which one has more playmakers, honestly, because when it comes to Florida, it's like Dan Mullen is just I feel like he's just dialing up the perfect plays, it seems like every single time. And then Kyle Pitts, like you said, is the most unique like talent in all of college football. And then Alabama is just like an embarrassment of riches in terms of what they have with the running game and all the weapons they have. Uh, to throw to so I, I think we need we need the Heisman Trophy needs to do something to get those like those just crazy athletes and just great players back in the conversation because it's just you're you're doing it a disservice if you're just going to give it to a quarterback on the top five team every year yeah well that's what's going to happen I, I don't see without that, a doubt I don't think that's uh that's going to change but um, Kyle Pitts, like, look at it. Like, that's a dude who should be in the Heisman ceremony. You yeah, know what I mean? I if there agree. was ever going to be a tight end to, to be a Heisman like When Alabama did that with their quarterback-running back combos back in the day. Like, just have them both. You need one of both. You need Trask and Pitts there. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Yeah, well, it seems like it's, it's going to be Trask. Um, my new favorite thing getting into this weekend's action is... Uh, college football fans getting antsy about 
Kentucky starting off well against premier elite SEC teams. Um, that is now becoming a weekly tradition that uh, makes me very happy. Mom was like, oh, did you see Kentucky's up on Florida? I'm like, Mom, I, I, I think. Hey, I will give Kentucky this. They they were actually giving Florida a game. Like Alabama, they gave them like two good drives. Yeah. <laughs> but Florida, like they actually were giving them a game. And um, Mark Stoops, I feel like totally botched this one going into the half where he got greedy. Like you saw this Florida, they got to stop on third down. So Florida's punting it with like a minute 20 left in the first half from like midfield. And they call a timeout. It's like, what are you doing? You're up <laughs> 10 to 7. You should be trying to milk every second of this clock. Now you're getting greedy. You think you're going to go go drive 80 yards on Florida in a minute and a half? Like, you are so fortunate to be winning 10 to 7 right now. And instead he called the timeout. Florida, and I just felt like I could just feel, like I was yelling at the TV when this happened. Like, you could just feel this is the most Kentucky-Florida thing ever. It seems like every time Kentucky plays Florida – they like play them tough like this and then do something to just like just shit the bed basically, you know? And, and so then they, Florida had that great punt that went out right at the one and then they started using their timeouts. And then next thing, you know, uh, Kadarius Tony takes the punt to the house and Florida's winning at halftime. And then it was, it was all Florida from that point on. Absolutely. Well, let's get in to this weekend's action. Um, I think we ought to start with my favorite game over the weekend, and that was on Friday afternoon. It was Notre Dame, the number two team in the country, improves to 9-0, beating the North Carolina Tar Heels on the road, 31-17. to They, This was like maybe the most impressive Notre Dame win of the season. People are going to say Clemson. I, I'm not throwing Clemson in there because of the Trevor Lawrence factor. I think this was like a complete game from Notre Dame that we needed to see because North Carolina is a very good team and uh, Notre Dame shuts out the, the heels 14, nothing in the second half. Very impressed with uh, Kieran Williams. I was really impressed with Notre Dame kind of just closing it out like good elite teams do just like, okay, this has been fun, uh, North Carolina. We're, we're having some fun, tied at the half and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we're the number two team in the country, and this is uh, this is it. And Sam Howell, you're, you're not doing some Sam Howell stuff here. So we're going to end this on the road in the way we want to. So I thought this was a very, very impressive uh, win for Notre Dame. What about you? Well, yeah, Clemson is definitely still their best win. But there was something, I know what you're saying, like kind of more impressive about this one because everyone can get up for Clemson. You know, that's mm-hmm. the game of the year, top five, top three team, uh, top three opponent. But I, I'll, I'll be honest, I picked North Carolina to uh, – mm. it was a four-and-a-half-point spread. I honestly thought North Carolina was going was gonna to pull the upset. It just – it had all the makings. Like with, with North Carolina's two good running backs, their, their dangerous passing attack – and at home, like it, it, it just felt it felt like there was a lot of good things working in North Carolina's favor, and you saw it early in the first quarter, like they were getting their best their best punches basically. And after the first two drives of the game, was it the final final nine drives? North Carolina had three points the entire rest of the game. So, and every every second half drive ended up a punt, or the very last one ended on the turnover on down. So, I felt like it was more impressive because. Not that this was a trap game because a lot of people had had circled it, but but that's kind of how it felt. Like we've talked about with certain teams this year, it was it was the shutdown inning. Like okay, you got that big win over Clemson, 
Now you're keep keeping it going. Now you have this other this like kind of last big test on your schedule uh, before you get to the ACC championship, and they definitely responded. And I I felt like it was a very impressive performance by Notre Dame. Like I think people were questioning the number two ranking. Mm-hmm. It was just like, well, they do have the win over Clemson, but no one really feels like they're number two. I think they kind of solidified the number two ranking this week. I agree. Iowa State, we talked about this game a little bit at the top of the show. Um, number 13 team in the country, the improved to 7-2, and 7-1 in the Big 12, to put a uh, just a definitive statement that uh, we're getting Iowa State-Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Very soon, Texas falls to 5-3. and three. Um, Crazy ending here, but I think Texas deserves credit. Brees Hall shut down for the most part in this game. Um, Brandon Eagles goes off for five catches, 142 yards. Purdy 25 through and through 36 for 312 in a TD. This is a very close game throughout Iowa State with a comeback in the fourth quarter. Texas fails to score in the fourth. Um, look, Iowa State's good, and this is a really good win. Texas probably should have won this game, but I I'm not freaking out. Like it seems like a lot of people are around Austin and nationally about this game, and I think uh, Matt Campbell's crew is just really good. And I think people are, I think people cloud the opener loss with who this Iowa State team is now. Like losing to Louisiana at home has really clouded how people see this Iowa State team. But I think they're, they're very good. And, and, um, this is a good win for them. Yeah. And I, I honestly haven't thought about that. That's probably what a lot of people think. They, oh, they lost to UL Lafayette. So they're not any good. But, um, or University of Louisiana, I should say. So they're not any good. Be respectful but, to the raging Cajuns. Without a doubt. So I, I think they're a quality team. So I think Iowa State's all year, they've been consistent. They've been, and their only conference losses to Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State, too. So it's not like they just, you know, slept, walked through some noon kickoff and lost to a bad team. They have uh, two respectable losses and, they beat Oklahoma. I'm still not understand how Oklahoma's uh, ahead of them in the rankings, but yeah, Iowa state, I don't think this should necessarily be like the final straw for Tom Herman. It, I think this is just added to the list of reasons why Texas is over over or underachieving. But um, cause this is not a bad loss in any way, but this just, this felt like the Sam Ellinger like legacy game, honestly, like as it was, as it was going, it was just like, they just weren't making enough plays. It felt like they were in control of this game for most of it, but they just kind of let Iowa State hang around, and they they didn't really they just didn't do any do enough in the second half offensively to kind of put the game away. And Sam Ellinger, he just uh, he's just he's one of the more frustrating players to watch. Like we talk about Bo Nix, how frustrating he is to watch. Like Sam Ellinger seems like the good version of Bo Nix, and it's still so frustrating. It's like he's he's got everything he needs to be like a good player, but something, something's missing and he just, he just doesn't make enough. He, he seems to leave some plays out there and there he's now, what is he? 27 and 16 as a starter at Texas for about three and a half years. And I would guess it would be a better record than that. That kind of blows my mind. It seems like he's been better. Yeah. And he has been solid. He's, I mean, he's got like 90-something touchdowns, I think like 120 total touchdowns when you talk passing and rushing. So he's, he's been a productive player. He's just he's just left a little something to be desired. Oregon, 
upset special crazy officiating in this game um late at night uh it i'm just proud of my my pack 12 after dark and uh my let's stop watching the sec when we can take matt green i, I love that oregon state the beeves jonathan smith who you gave me crap about i seem to recall saying that we're going to be going to be interesting this year that i was interested in seeing how they were going to fare that jonathan smith had this offense rolling they come from behind they scored 22 points in the fourth quarter to beat the oregon ducks and in the pac-12 playoff hopes um jamar jefferson is my my stud of the week 29 carries 226 yards two tds for the beaver um channeling his steven jackson energy in this game some jaquiz rogers going on steven jackson that's a throwback right there steven jackson i was one of of the bigger steven jackson fans i'll be honest he he changed he changed our fantasy league scoring because of his production i don't don't want to give he did i I made it the steven jackson rule we made (laughs) we started making yards more important okay because like this guy like led the league in rushing one year like 1500 yards rushing had like four touchdowns it was like the 11th ranked running back in fantasy it was like you know what we gotta change something about this this guy is elite like but um yeah i was always a big steven jackson fan i was until he got to atlanta very very underwhelmed at steven jackson he was done by the time he got to atlanta for sure what is it rams running backs when they come to atlanta it's just it's over jackson Gurley. i never thought about that yeah um we get the Gurley scraps Gurley was what is he like 26 years old? Like he's still super young and he's, he already seems to be done. Tough world for running backs. Jamar Jefferson, uh, go get paid and stop carrying the ball 30 times in college. Uh, you only have so many, um, Nebraska falls to one and four loses on the road at number 24. Iowa improves to four and two. Um, I was just really fun to watch, but I, I would hate watching this Nebraska team if I'm a Nebraska fan, right? Like the quarterback situation is bad. Like Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey. I don't know who's better at this point and who gives you a better chance to win. But like, whew, this is uh this is bad. Like this is a, I I'm really stunned at how bad Nebraska looks um, at this point in Scott Frost's tenure at uh, in Cornhusker country. Yeah, I think you gotta be. I, I feel like the guy uh, Mike Riley before this was mm. was doing a better job. So, what I, I really I'm wondering when the when this when does the seat start to get hot for Scott Frost? Because it's like he's kind of in a Jim Harbaugh situation where he came home, he can do no wrong. So now we're going on tier three, uh, right? Yeah, this is year three, and he had, he's ten and nineteen in three mm. years. It's like Mike Riley was doing a whole lot better than that, and they got rid of him after just three years. So, oh, I, I don't know. I think um, Mike Riley was 19 and 19 in three full years as a head coach in Nebraska. So, this is going to be really interesting. And I think this is what shows you the, the grass isn't always greener when you're at one of these, you know, mid majors, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, in college football. He had a good thing going at UCF, and maybe he thought Nebraska. Maybe Nebraska was his dream job, but uh, he picked Nebraska over Florida. Yeah. Oh man, he I, he's got to be uh, he's got to be questioning that right now. Like you left the recruiting. I think he just overthought it, 
he overthought it. And uh, I think Oregon was also in play. And it was like, no, I'm going to go to Nebraska, where you, it's almost impossible to win and the fans are crazy. Let me go back to the Midwest, the recruiting hotbed known as Nebraska. Like, maybe, let's go ahead and go back there. Maybe he overestimated his own, like, cachet, like his own yeah. ability. Because I guess you just assume, okay, once I go to Nebraska, then I'm going to bring the players in. And the players are looking around like, why are we going to Nebraska? <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of places to go. Uh, I do not want to go to Nebraska. Yeah, that's going to be the title of this podcast. I don't want to go to Nebraska. Um, <laughs> on Saturday, Alabama, in a snoozer, beats the Auburn Tigers to improve to 8-0, 42-13. Matt Harris quietly throws for five TDs. He had five TDs and 18 completions. Uh, no Nick Saban um, on the sidelines tonight. Uh, thoughts? with him and his family as he battles covid um always scary especially at that age um auburn falls to five and three um Devontae smith seven receptions 171 yards and two touchdowns um this was never really close and uh bama was just fine with uh without um saving on the sidelines for this week at least um matt what's about this game and do you think uh the, the seat's getting warm for another SEC coach here. I feel like Gus Malzahn's seat stays warm. He's just always got the seat warmers on, essentially. <laughs> but um, I guess until he beats Bama, then that just cools it off for the next uh, year or so. But uh, here we are, a year after beating Bama. He's now gotten smashed by Bama, and the seat is uh, is warming up again. Um, I was shocked, man. Of all, of all the people, Seth Williams to drop that wide-open touchdown pass yeah. down the middle of the field like that was Auburn's only shot to to be in the game that would have made it 21 10 going into the half that would have postponed the inevitable but it seemed like after that it just kind of Auburn never really got anything going until the game was essentially over this Alabama offense is just they're ridiculous man like like Mac Jones like just puts the ball exactly where it needs to be. Like hits every receiver perfectly in stride. Like I, you, you couldn't tell at all that Nick Saban wasn't on the sideline for this one. They were just, they look like the exact same team. Pittsburgh falls to five and five where they get blown out by the now eight and one Clemson Tigers, 52 to 17 Trevor Lawrence. Just, he just dissected uh Pat Narduzzi squad with ease. Um, love these purple, or uh, I guess they're purple, right? Uh, these Clemson unis they were rocking on Saturday. That is purple, correct? Yeah. What uh, what other color would they be? Well, so Matt, I am uh, colorblind. I am actually legally colorblind, so a oh, blue are you? And purple always like throws me off. And um, this is a very blue purple. I'll give okay. you that. So I'm never really sure. So I have to be very careful. I'm I'm someone who is warm black. Uh, like I've mixed and matched black and navy socks a lot. Like I, mm. I it's very difficult uh, for me it's to tough. to see the difference. Yeah, that is my plight, Matt Green. Um, not a lot to take away here. People were like, "Oh, Pitt can make this a game," and I'm sure there were a lot of people who were like, "Pitt can cover." And I'm like, "Have you have you watched Pitt this year?" And also, the time that Pitt made these games competitive was like five years ago. Um, no, Clemson was not gonna just. Uh, allow Pitt to be in this game they were immediately up 31 to nothing after the first quarter yeah I would I wish I could have heard somebody talking about Pitt covering before this game like oh my god like I don't even know what the spread was but I, I never would have picked uh 
pin, uh, Pittsburgh to cover it. But yeah, it was it was good to see Trevor Lawrence back, um, back to back to doing what he does. And Clemson, yeah, I'm a big fan of the purple. I think if they're their military appreciation uniforms, I'd I'd be down to see them rocking more often. This quarterback went nine for twenty five, a buck eighteen, and threw two picks. His receiver said, uh, "I'm out of here. Uh, I'm good." What game am I talking about, and what program am I talking about, Matt Green? I think you got to be talking about Terrace Marshall. Yep, in LSU. <laughs> Man, that game was a snoozer, man. Like it, like A and M took took care of business, but it, it felt like nothing happened in that game. Well, once they were up ten nothing, I was like, "Oh, it's over." Can you imagine thinking about that? Where a year ago, uh, like LSU falling behind to nothing, where you're like, "Oh, this offense can't come back from that." It, that it, yeah, this seriously. is where they're at. Like I'm like, mm, I don't think they're gonna come back from a double sco- like a double digit uh, lead in this game. I, I do not think that that's in the cards for these Tigers. Um, that offense, man, it's putrid. And then just the blow of you already lost Jamar Chase, and then Terrence Marshall being like, eh, this is I've seen enough. I, I can't handle T.J. Finley going nine of twenty five for uh, two picks and a hundred yards. I, I think I'm good. I, I think it, I'm good. I've seen enough. It's funny because like all these opt outs, like we go, we kind of all have like our idea of why someone is opting out, but this one feels like the most, like the most disrespectful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's just, I feel like you know this guy's exactly what he's thinking. He's like, I was on a championship team last year. Like I know what a good team. This team is trash. I'm not wasting my time playing on this team anymore. Like, like I'm, I'm out. Like I've, I've done enough. And he, I feel like he looks so good this year too. Like. He seemed like he took his game to another level this year, and it's just you wouldn't notice it by uh, the results uh, for LSU all season. But now, because of the schedule uh, changes, have you seen what LSU's three game stretch is? It can't starting... be any worse than uh, Tennessee's. I think it might be. Uh, well, so now they they just uh, lost a number five Texas A and M. Next week, they got number one, Alabama. And mm. the week after that, they have number six, Florida. So not mm. not the way you want to close out a season like this. They were kind of, they were probably hoping they could just, they could pull a Florida State and just find a way to, to end the season without playing Bama or Florida. But SEC, Greg Sankey was like, hey, you know, LSU, we'll, we'll, we'll rework this schedule for you. We, we, can't, <laughs> we can't miss Alabama, LSU. And we're around like, yeah, you could probably miss Alabama LSU this year. Florida improves to seven and one. They beat Kentucky thirty-four to ten. Kyle Trask almost perfect in this game, twenty-one twenty-seven, two fifty-six, three TDs. Um, people were like, oh, 14 10 at the half. What what's what's cooking here? And then uh, Florida outscores Kentucky twenty to zero in the second half. Um, the highlight of this game was Dan Mullen chewing, chewing up Todd Grantham on the sidelines. Did you see that? Yeah, he was. Uh, and that was after the stop too. Mm-hmm. That, that was after that like ninety yard drive that they ended up holding him to a field goal. And yeah, he was uh, he was letting him have it. it. It feels like Florida, like they, we said this last week at Vanderbilt. It feels like they do this with uh, Kentucky and Vanderbilt every year. They just kind of mess around with them for two quarters and then go ahead and blow the doors off of them. My favorite game of the weekend, the frauds that were the Northwestern number eight team in the country fall 
to five and one and lose to an absolutely atrocious Michigan State team who improves to two and three and have their two wins, of course, being Michigan and Northwestern this year. Um, this game was bonkers and uh, hate these uniforms Michigan State was wearing. The yellow, like you, your uniforms are great. What what are we doing with these? Um, Northwestern loses. It's great, great day all around. Peyton Ramsey barely. I think he did. He even hit the fifty percent completion percentage line in this game i don't think he did just, just shy of it just missed it um you hate to see it <laughs> i love that they're they got uh hit here northwestern's not good like this is still this offense is not good um their defense is solid obviously but um this is who they are they were not an elite team and i'm glad we can go ahead like them being in the top 10 personally offended me matt Green. having watched too much northwestern this year that uh it, it, it very much uh, offended me, and uh, I was glad to see them go down. I know, right? Now all the people that are mad of Georgia being number nine, now they're about to go up one in the rankings. Georgia's just going <laughs> to gradually get up there when no one really thinks they're that good. But um, not not to uh, not to big time you here, mm. but because uh, I know you just said you're colorblind, but I, I think Michigan State is more of a lime green, kind of a highlighter green kind of was color. That green, but, not yellow? Yeah, it was it was terrible. Like those are the those might be the worst uniforms I've ever seen in college football. Like Michigan State's got a quality look too. Yes. Like they, they got solid uniforms. I don't know what they're doing with this highlighter stuff. Yeah, it was it was bad. It was worse than Georgia Tech rocking black. That's for sure. It was. But, it was like but, the uh, Oregon designer. Got it was little... yeah, it was like South Florida. You saw yeah. South Florida. No, this I week? love those. See, South oh, Florida those should... are terrible. Oh no, those are perfect. You must be colorblind because that's no. the only that's the only person I can see liking those uniforms. No, oh those were man, incredible. I was, not, I was not a fan, but yeah, Michigan State. I was glad to see someone just let's put it into this Northwestern talk. They're getting a little too big for their britches. All right, um, I'm going to pass the keys to you, Matt Green, on this next game. The number nine Georgia Bulldogs beat the South Carolina Gamecocks 45 to 16. Um, what? I did not watch a second of this game, Matt. I, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I did not watch one second of the Mike Bobo Bowl. How did it go? The Mike Bobo Bowl. Uh, well, Bobo, um, I, th- I think Kirby uh, took it easy on him. I think he could have hung 50 here at the end, but they uh, they needed inside the five late. But, um, yeah, I think this showed last week, um, it kind of brought some validity. We've talked about how Kirby Smart is not the best in press conferences. You know, he gets a little defensive. But a few weeks ago, people were kind of questioning, like, what what – their identity is, you know, and he's saying, well, the off on the offense, you know, you just take what the defense gives you. If they're, if they let you pass it, you pass it. If they let you run it, you run it. And people were kind of like, what the hell is he talking about? Like it just didn't, while the offense wasn't going well, it just didn't feel like what you wanted your coach saying. But if you look at these last two games, it kind of says exactly what he was saying. Uh, Mississippi state was just constantly had seven, eight in the box and was just blitzing the hell out of Georgia the whole game. Just, daring them to go deep and beat him over the top and JT Daniels did and threw for over 400 yards uh when Georgia only had eight rushing yards and then this week you could tell South Carolina had to respect Georgia's passing attack and that's what opened them up to run for 332 yards on the ground and so Georgia was just gashing them uh James Cook, Zamir White, Kenny McIntosh, even Dejon Edwards got in the mix so it was a it was a pretty easy easy win I think South Carolina, I think three have has, has like three starters that have opted out uh, just in their secondary alone. So uh, 
they were definitely uh, shortchanged, but uh, I thought Georgia looked good. They got after the quarterback, and uh, and yeah, that was it. Was a pretty easy win. Maryland falls at Indiana. Indiana moves to five and one. Actually, good Indiana Hoosiers um, take down Little Tua. 27-11. Very sneaky good win for for the Hoosiers. Defense comes to play against a, a, a frisky Maryland team. Um I I thought this was this was interesting. Um Indiana. Really, really good. Good good win. Good bounce back uh effort from Indiana. Because they could have easily gone the other way after losing to Ohio State the way they did. Um but Tom Allen is a is a good coach. For sure, and especially to lose Michael Penix Jr. Yeah. Uh, like they did in this game, and to still you know pull out pull out the victory because it was looking a little a little close there uh, briefly. But I don't know do we do we know the severity on that injury yet? I don't I don't know if I've if I've heard I how long he's going to be yet. out. But yeah, I mean that's definitely going to impact if Indiana's a, a true contender to to somehow upset Ohio State if they meet for uh, for round two. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. I feel like this this Indiana team without uh, Michael Penix Jr. is is just much less dangerous. Yeah, they're still waiting tests today, so we'll probably know but before yeah. the Thursday show what what his fate is. Okay, but yeah, it was a solid performance. I feel like uh, young Tua Tua two point has uh, has looked solid uh, in recent weeks, and they really uh, they really shut him down. Your team, the the real bird of the state of South Carolina. The Chanticleers improved to 9-0. They throttle the Texas State Bobcats 49-14. to Jake Spavadol era down there in uh, in Texas State uh, really struggling. Is that San Marcos, Texas? I don't know. It's something like that I want to say. Um, Chanticleers, Brady McBride, 20-26, 202 yards, 1 TD. But is, is, is your stud of the week, Mr. C.J. Marble, 16 carries, 157 yards, 3 TDs? Is, did he make the cut for you? That is not my stud of the mm. week, only because he didn't do half of what another running back in the country did. Oh, so, I think I know I, who you're you're mentioning. Do you, do you want yeah. to unveil? You your, to I'm going to guess because he, he's not going to make the notes. The Buffalo game is not going to make true. my uh, Jarrett Patterson man 409 yards and eight rushing touchdowns. This guy in the last two games, he has 710 yards and 12 rushing touchdowns, averaging 10.6 yards a carry. Ridiculous. I actually, I actually picked Kent State in that one because Kent State was leading the country in points per game, averaging over 50 a game before that, uh, and Buffalo just clearly ran all over them. It was uh, some classic action, if you will. Um, Oklahoma State finally bounces back here, beating a sloppy Texas Tech team, fifty to forty-four. The offense comes alive here. Um, Desmond Jackson. So it's not not Chubba Hubbard, who's just had a really weird season. Um, Desmond Jackson has thirty-six carries, two thirty-five, um, three TDs. Did you see the onside kick touchdown? Oh, I did not see that. So Texas Tech to try and stay in the game, kicked an onside kick, and Oklahoma State ran it back for a touchdown. You don't see that very often. No, you don't. We saw that in the NFL yesterday, too. Uh, A.J. Brown did that for the Titans. Yeah. Well, that is... I think of Jason Seahorn back in the day. You remember when he did that? <laughs> I do oh, remember man, that. That was like... 
that was like 2000, 2001. Man, that was old. The last white defensive back in the NFL. I don't. I know think he's the last to, one that started. Or I'm cornerback. Pretty, no, he's defense. the last cornerback, white cornerback, to start in an NFL game. I'm pretty sure. Man, he's a he was a unicorn for sure. Um, UCF survives a suddenly frisky South Florida team, 58 to 46. Um, they're moving in the right direction. Jeff Scott uh, getting them up. Uh, for this game and I think uh, you deserve to give them a little bit more credit for their beautiful uniforms that they wore that I'm not sure what color it was but uh, I think South Florida should be like a highlighter that's okay Michigan State doesn't need to they have a great classic look but if you're a program that doesn't have that shiny weirdness is okay for me I mean, if that's your logic, then yeah, I, I, I guess so. They, if, if they want people talking about them, I guess that's what they're going to have to do. But uh, I was not a fan. I was surprised kind of how they hung around in this game. But uh, yeah, UCF pulled it out. Penn State gets their first win of the season, 27-17. I watched a lot of this game. Um, Kayvon Lee, good game for him, 22 carries, 134 yards. It, it was just like one of those weird – it was almost like if you – just hidden the records like we didn't know anything about these teams coming in and you just watch this game play out you're like oh right like penn state's just more talent better coached um they were going to a tough environment and they just imposed their will and they're up 17 7 at the half and michigan's offense still uh, it turns out joe milton was not all the problems going on with this michigan offense it uh this was this is it it really does feel like we're we're wrapping up uh the tenure of James Harbaugh in Ann Arbor and James Franklin, Penn State, will uh, will be fine. I think they just had a, a year from hell, and they'll they'll get back on track next year. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, at one in five, it's interesting that you feel like more confident about Penn State right now than than Michigan. But yeah, it definitely feels like this is the last road for, for Jim Harbaugh. But I, I think this is why we kind of questioned South Carolina firing Muschamp when they did is because now if, if a couple of these other big time jobs show up or open up, like South Carolina gets bumped way down there and who knows how good of a candidate they can get. So not that they're on Michigan or Texas's level or anything, but if one of those get, if one of those teams get one of the hot candidates, it just kind of, takes down who south carolina can get but yeah michigan i uh i, I liked Cade mcnamara after after last week but like you said i think they got a lot more problems going on than just the quarterback position yeah um to run through a couple other ones and please stop me if you would like to mention something about a little nugget about these games tcu beats kansas 59 23 ucla Improves to two and two, beating Arizona twenty-seven to ten. Washington probably going to be ranked after this week with Dylan Morris um, leading the charge. They beat the Utes, who are zero and two to start the year. Very strange. Um, Twenty-four twenty-one. Um, Baylor survives Kansas State in a weird one. Thirty-two thirty-one. They get their second Big Twelve win of the year. Um, Georgia Tech. They drop fifty-six on a very very bad Duke team. Chase Bryce. His stats are becoming some of my favorite things in college football he goes 19 of 40 in this game not exactly the most accurate quarterback i've ever seen um memphis weird wins a weird one against navy 10 to 7 noter uh, boston college beats louisville 34 to 27 they're going bowling uh Rutgers beats purdue i'm glad this was not on the pick this week for us not doing it because i would have definitely taken the the plumber purdue 
ma- uh, just matchup here and North. Yeah, North these is, are these are your boilermakers, right? They're my boilermakers. This uh, is uh, this was not a good week for the Big Ten with Northwestern and Purdue. I don't know. Those were. I feel like I don't know who the good teams in the Big Ten are at this point. Like Indiana, Indiana looks like maybe the only other good team next to Ohio State. Like. I don't know. This conference is not looking uh, as promising as it did the first couple weeks. No, no. Um, last but not least, the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss survives to go bowling probably at 4-4. Four and four. Mike Leach and the Bulldogs fall in Oxford 31-24. to 24. Without looking, how many passes did Will Rogers throw in this game? Matt Green. Oh, shit. Uh, 48 61 he completed 45 oh wow that's uh that's impressive right there he he felt like he kept them in this game but uh old miss I, this my dad this is gonna be a good Rogers, by the way he after that georgia mississippi state game he's like that dude's he can spin it like my dad loves will rogers all on the will rogers hype train i didn't have the heart to tell him that kj costello was a five-star before him but uh yeah, yeah I mean, he's he's done this against Georgia and Ole Miss back to back weeks. Uh, neither of those defenses have, have looked very impressive in recent weeks. So uh, who knows? Georgia should be, be a lot better than Ole Miss, but uh, they were they were getting cut up. Maybe it was just Will Rogers. Maybe he's that good. I don't know. Oh God, Georgia fans, you, you, you love it. Um, no, I'm 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 giving him his credit, but uh, I'm just saying Georgia hasn't been hasn't uh, been a great defense the last few weeks. All right. Well, Matt, that is all I've got, my friend. Is there anything you would like to to add before we get out of here today? Uh, that's all I got, man. I uh, want to want to get back to it. Get back on the board with our predictions. Okay. Um. Well, we'll be back as we will every Thursday for our college football preview show. Um. Getting in the home stretch here before bowl season. Um. It's starting to feel like bowl season outside. It's snowing in Tennessee today. So. Uh, Starting to feel like Belk Bowl mania. Um, people are getting really amped for the Gator Bowl. Uh, a lot of people are talking. Who's, who's <laughs> making in the Gator Bowl this year? Who's getting in the Cheez-It Bowl? Um, I, that's one of my favorite things to do, uh, doing the, the bowl pick with uh, my family and friends, and I'm excited to do on this podcast this year. So I'm looking forward to it uh, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green. I am Chase Thomas up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you as always, and uh, we'll be back with another episode on Thursday. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. All right. Hello, and welcome back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by somebody I met in college, one of the the several different schools I transferred uh, from in my early early college uh, tenure, Logan Booker. Logan, good morning, sir. How are you? Chase, it is good to hear from you, my man. You're, you're right. It's been like eight, nine years. We're trying to think off air here. Like, when were we in that class? And it had to have been 2011 or 2012. And uh, it's, it's funny to think was back when we speaking? were there, it was called... What's that? Was it public speaking? Am I remembering uh, yeah, that? Yeah, I think we it was public speaking, and then I don't know if you took the uh, journalism class with the same professor or not, but it may have been public speaking. I want um, to say it was public yeah, speaking. It, it, 
It's funny because back then we were at Georgia Perimeter College, which mm. has since merged with Georgia State. Right. So are Georgia State alums and just kind of don't realize it? I I think we are because I get Georgia State alumni emails. Okay, so, so I, I'm I haven't pretty sure seen we the emails. Are. They've kind of pushed me out the door and forgotten about me. But mm. yeah, in a weird way, I guess we're uh, we're Georgia State guys, and uh, I guess we both gone on to bigger and. Bigger and brighter schools, if you would, but now it's been a good path, man. It's good to finally circle around and catch up with you. Yeah, you never know where you're uh, where you're going to end up. I uh, I finished up at North Georgia, and now I'm up here in Knoxville at UT. Nice. You ended up at uh, the University of Georgia, and you you never left, Logan. You, no, you, you, I, I came good. out to Athens and realized what a great town this is, and I just love the community. And I, I got a little internship with the local radio stations, and one thing led to the next, and. Now I am the host of the morning show, or the, one of the co-hosts of the morning show, and get to talk sports for four hours every morning. And believe it or not, Chase, they actually give me a paycheck to do it, man, which is pretty sweet. So you're at 96, the ref, and let me just go ahead and tell you, um, whenever I see that, I want to say reference, like I'm so attuned to like sports reference and basketball reference, where I can't, my brain just can't process just REF. It doesn't, just it doesn't work. Yeah, I can't do 960, it. 960, the reference. I'll, I'll drop that line Please. on my show once or twice this week just to have fun. Thank you. Thank you. Because that's the way my brain works. And maybe I'm alone. Exactly. I, I don't know I why. Um, I get it. Logan, how do people listen to you? Just before we get into everything, tell the people yeah, sure. how, they, it, how they tune in to Logan Booker's radio show. It's 960 The Ref. As we just said, we do have a free app. If you wanted to download the app and get caught up on Georgia sports, or if you just want to go to 960theref.com, there is a listen live option there. And I'm on air 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. every single morning. And yeah, just have a good time. We carry all Georgia sports here as well. And it's just a, uh, just a nice little college town radio show. Well, before I ask you about uh, some intricacies of Georgia's season and their game this weekend against mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina in the in the Boba Bowl, uh, as I assume you called it. I like that. Mm-hmm. I would no doubt about it. The Boba Bobo Bowl rolls it's, right it's, off the tongue. It's man. really tough to say fast. Um, I've seen your back porch, and uh, you posted on Twitter, and it's a. Uh, I I look at it, and I'm not a uh, I'm I'm not a handyman. Logan, I'm not right. someone that is uh, <laughs> able to do anything that you do in the back porch. So I look at it and I'm like, wow, I, I couldn't even imagine thinking of where to start to put together something like that. How long has this been in the works? And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> for the first things first, if you're going to have a back porch that is sports friendly, you have to marry a sports fan. That, that is key number one, unless you just mm. live by yourself and you're living the bachelor dream and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I did marry a girl that is just as into Braves baseball, Georgia football, as myself. We, mm. uh, we schedule our life around sports together. Uh, it, it was love at first sight when I picked her up at a sports bar in Atlanta, and I heard her. She was actually cussing Chase about a, a, a play in the Braves game. Okay. And I had no idea who she was. I looked over, and I was like, that's the girl I'm going to marry one of these days, and wound up doing so. You knew right uh, away. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. She was mad about like a blown call at second uh, base or something, and she was not happy about it. And that, mm. that was love, like I said. But, yeah, what you're referencing, though, we, we inherited several years ago. A, uh, I had a family lake house growing up, and uh, I lost my father several years ago, but he left that to my wife and I, and we have a place out in Lincoln County, Georgia, which is very, very far east Georgia, almost to South Carolina. But we've got a nice little view of the lake from the back porch, and what Chase is referencing is my, my beautiful uh, sports-crazed wife has allowed me to install a couple of flat-screen TVs out there, and with good Internet and smart TVs, and 
I guess everybody streams everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. So we have a YouTube TV account. We're able to watch multiple football games on the back porch with a nice view of the lake and a big fire pit. And let's just say Saturdays this fall have been uh, very enjoyable because we've had great weather in the state to go along with it. So it's fun, man. So, yeah, for several years we just kind of make that back porch. And, and as you know, like I just said, fall is such a great time to be outside that – and you and I, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, Chase, we don't just watch one football game on Saturdays. we got to watch as much as possible. So that that's the setup we got going on in Lincoln County, Georgia right now. I love it, man. I love that we're complete opposites on all of this. Like, I, uh, <laughs> I'm i very strictly anti-dating someone who is uh, a sports person. <laughs> I have no interest. Um, tried it. Doesn't work. I, I don't, like, I spend so much time going through different sporting events, parsing through different sports articles, doing this podcast every day that like the last thing I wanted to, this is why I'm actually like a low key bad person to go out with a bunch of dudes and talk about Like I have no interest (laughs) because I'm just like, I kind of want to hide about what I do for the podcast and like what I talk about. Sure. Because I'm like, I uh, I get it. It makes sense. People get excited. They're like, Oh, I've always wanted to talk about this kind of stuff with somebody who actually knows a lot about it and can um, (laughs) articulate all these different things and talk about hockey at the same way they can talk about college football. And I'm like, I just don't want to do it with you. I understand where you're excited. And I'm like, "Uh, I'm actually more of an introvert and I don't really want to do any of this so i'm gonna go and then um there was another part of oh multiple games i can't do that i have add i cannot do that so i pre-record a lot of different stuff and then the mornings after i like i go through all the the saturday games like i get up early and i just go through them but i pick i prioritize which games i'm going to get like notre dame north carolina got my full attention Uh on friday and i was like that is my friday that is what's getting my attention that's where my notes are because i take notes i don't know if you're a note taker during games but i take a bunch of notes throughout the game that's how i stay engaged and then i go back through it and i think about it and see if there's anything uh any, if I can pull a little nugget out of it, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's how it works. Because I feel like if like the Red Zone Channel is the worst thing to ever happen to sports fans, in my opinion. Like <laughs> no one has any kind of perspective. They just see the scoring. They don't know what happened in the game, and you miss so much. You can't do it. You can't just tune into JT Daniels throwing forty yard bombs every now and then and be like, oh, they did great, or just look at the stat line of Will Rogers. And you're making like, sense. You I don't are. Like it. Now, now, the way I op- I've got multiple remotes in my hands at the same time. I'm hitting the mute button on different remotes mm. just to make sure I've got the audio uh, for certain times. And if you think we're just leaving it on the two two games, you're crazy. We actually we probably cycle between like four and five games on those two TVs as we go. But I get your point, Chase. You're making sense. I just I like consuming as much as possible. Yeah. If I'm not at a sports bar, I want to recreate that at my house. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I just, I, I know my limitations as a person sure. and as a sports media type. I know my limitations, Logan. And I know that I, that, I don't that know. not any... a bad quality, Chase. <laughs> no, you're not limitation. at all. That's adulting, exactly. right? Uh, you it learn is. your yeah, limitations. You come, we've, come, we've both come a long way in the last 10 years. Let's put it that way. Exactly. Um, <laughs> takeaways from University of Georgia versus the University of South Carolina. Um, I. When I was going back through this and looking at it this morning, um, I, I, I just I wonder because Georgia fans seem like they are in a emotional loop, and you can speak to this more because you're talking to them on the show and everything. Mm-hmm. But like the overreaction of struggling to run the football one week, and then this week mm-hmm. where they rack up 332 yards in the ground, South Carolina only averages 1.9 yard per carry. 
James Cook looked great. Zamir White looked back to form. They combined for 188 yards. They both scored a TD. Like, are, are what do you think is real? What do you think is actually happening with Georgia's offensive philosophy week in, week out? And what do you think is the long-term trajectory for this group? Yeah, so Kirby Smart, every single week we meet him a couple times via Zoom this year and in, just in a press conference setting, and he says a lot of coach speak, things that you hear from every single coach. We're given respect here. We're, uh, you know, we're going to take it one day at a time. He is the king of that stuff. But one thing he says that I thoroughly believe him and I have over the years is game by game he's going to do what he feels works the best early on in a game, and he's going to stick with that, whether that's the passing game just being there the entire time uh, like it may have been versus Mississippi State. Now, another factor against Mississippi State is Mike Leach, and I, I'm, forgive me, I can't think of the defensive coordinator's name there in Starkville. They completely sold out to make a quarterback making his debut pass the football and prove that he was able to do that before they're going to sit there and worry about, you know, you know, uh, trying to defend it. They want to make sure he can do it, and they know what Georgia's run game is. That's what they did. They loaded that box completely. Georgia had to pass. Uh, when it comes to South Carolina, I do believe, and, and you kind of threw some stats out there, that South Carolina was a very, very beat-up team. They're missing a lot of guys, whether it be due to opt-out, whether it be due to injuries. We're finding out now in the last few days they may have been dealing with some COVID issues of their own in terms of uh, just their roster size. But Georgia was able to run the ball with success very early, and as Kirby says, we're going to do what the defense allows us to do. And that stable of running backs just completely had a, a very good day. What was JT Daniels like, 10 for 18, 179 yards or something like that? And, and they passed when they felt it was there. But I think when you had James Cook just finding the holes, Samir White finding those holes this past week, uh, yeah, Kirby, would, he would have been a fool to abandon the run and go all air raid, even if it is to the fans' chagrin who love, they really want to see what JT Daniels has, what he's capable of doing. Uh, but this past Saturday specifically, the run game was there. And, and listen, I, I, the term hot knife through butter may not have even been inaccurate, you know, how well that run game was working for Georgia. Yeah, Kirby would have been a fool to start slinging the ball all over the place. He let JT Daniels do it a couple of times. But, yeah, it, to your point, kind of circling back around to what you were saying, though, Georgia fans don't really know what to think week by week. But if you want to just read into the coaching decisions, I think Kirby did exactly what he says he does, and that's run the ball when it's available and pass when you want to. I think what you're saying is important here, which is you evolve week to week, and I think that's how you win yeah. um, at this point in time. Like You just see what the defense is going to give you, what their weaknesses are, where you can find mismatches, and then exploit those mismatches. Like That is how you should... like. Some programs just can't do that because they don't have the personnel to just be a chameleon where they'll be, they'll focus on James Cook and Kendall Milton and guys like that because you just have the stable mm -hmm. backs who can do that and an offensive line that can do that. Teams like Mississippi State cannot do that. They don't have the bodies to play a bunch of different ways and just run the ball down teams' throats when they need to run the down the ball team starts like right. there are certain teams that just don't have that and a lot of programs just don't have the bodies it's like why Vanderbilt was playing a pro style offense with the kind of players they have it's just like you you can't win at Vanderbilt like that anymore it's just you can't do it um you need the bodies to play like Georgia but I do wonder if Georgia fans are going to get used to this do you think they're going to get used to the fact that 
you're going to get frustrated sometimes. Like the the run the dang ball stuff where I'm like, yeah. that era is over. Like that's just not, they're not going to do it. Some weeks they're going to do it like this weekend against South Carolina. But if you're frustrated that some weeks they are going to be in the shotgun at the one yard line and they're going to do some stuff in the end zone that you're not going to like throw fades to George Pickens and not just load the box and run straight at the middle with Samir White. Like you got to understand, like that's just, how the game is played now and that the Georgia sure. it like it changes fast and I think maybe that's part of it is that Georgia has evolved very quickly right like who we saw two years ago on offense is very different than who we see now um on Saturdays and I don't think necessarily either are wrong I just think it's a lot of change for Georgia fans very quickly I think, to be honest, most Georgia fans that I speak to some of my inner circles that we talk off air with they are all chomping at the bit to kind of join that new era of college football that you just talked about. That doesn't mean that, that they want to just abandon having good running backs and having a good run, run game to go with it. Uh, you know, the, the most basic football philosophy says you have to have a good run game to have an effective passing game or vice versa. I mean, that, that's, that's common. Not always true. I think Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, what they did at LSU last season, they almost ruined us, didn't they, Chase? Just kind of giving yeah. us that mindset that that's what we can do on any given night and go out there to just sling the ball 50 times a night and uh, have the success that they had. You can trace it back to a, to a tongue of Viola as well. When Alabama made the switch uh, to a more of a spread-style offense and kind of, you know, the, the fun and gun, if you want to call it that, throwback to the Florida days of the 1990s. I mean, they have really shown that high-octane offenses with the ball in the air mm. is winning football games right now. And the last several champions are, are teams that have that style of offense. And, uh, and Clemson also, what Trevor Lawrence has done, Deshaun Watson, when he started doing things over at Clemson, it, it's absolutely evolving right now. Now, going back to, like, say, 2019, when Georgia's offense was just abysmal, uh, had no wide receivers. I think by the time Georgia got to the SEC championship game last season – if you go down the entire like depth chart, they were on their like sixth, seventh, and eighth wide receivers. Whether it was based on injury, suspension, and just just flat out not being out there uh, from the beginning of the season. And then you know Jake Fromm, we love him around here, but let's be honest, he didn't have the most golden arm of all college football, uh, or even in Georgia the last several seasons. But I, I think most Georgia fans I talk to, Chase, they are they are they, like I said, chomping at the bit, cannot wait to maybe get a JT Daniels back next year that is healthy the entire season, ready to go under this Todd Munkin offense. And I think they, they're very excited to see a lot more passing going on. But that stable of running backs that we just mentioned, they're not going anywhere either. We'll have a lot of those guys back next year. And we could see something that's very, very balanced. But I'm starting to lean more toward maybe a 60-40 passing game uh, that, that George is going to deal with next year. A lot of these wide receivers are budding stars and uh, could be very, very good in the college football ranks next year. But I, th I, think, it's, I think Georgia's on the verge of being more of a pass-happy offense. So far this season, they've just not had the quarterback to do it until these last couple of games. And it, so far, it's, it's fun. I know a lot of people are having a good time with it so far. But, but, but what we did against South Carolina was a little bit surprising, but that goes back to what I said, that if it works, Kirby's going to stick with it. And uh, the next time that Georgia's forced to throw the ball, I think we finally have someone here in Athens that's capable of doing it. It sounds like to me that, because this was something I remember being talked about a lot uh, when they brought in Todd Monken to replace Coley, mm -hmm. was um, the autonomy factor. Would he give yeah. over the reins and just say, hey, I'm just going to be the, the CEO, the Herm Edwards type, um, or just have more of a hand in the defense, and I'm going to uh, limit 
what I what kind of control I have on the offense. Do you think he? It sounds to me the way you describe it that Kirby still has um, a strong voice in what Todd Monken is doing and what kind of plays he's calling and what the strategy is when they're prepping uh, a game plan for the week offensively. It definitely feels that way. I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall during those offensive meetings when, when you're game planning for a specific opponent and, and just have an idea of how much Kirby Smart does have his hands on. Now, he'll mm. claim and he'll tell the media, he'll say that, no, it's Todd's show. Todd can mm. do whatever he wants to do. But then in the same breath, Kirby Smart kind of comes out and talks about, we're going to do what the defense gives us. We're going to see what works and go from there. So... Maybe the game plan is all Todd Munkin, but I wouldn't be surprised if those two were on the sideline together or talking through the headphones about, yeah. you know, hey, this is working, let's stick with that, let's go with this. And, and Kirby Smart, one of the reputations he's getting, uh, even amongst Georgia fans and the diehard fans right now, is he is one of the most stubborn <laughs> coaches you'll ever meet in your lifetime. He, yeah. he tends to stick with a quarterback, he'll stick with a philosophy, he'll stick with something that he likes, well, hold and it on. feels like moving heaven and earth to get him to change those things. But I think I can have I introduce you to Jeremy Pruitt and Jarrett Garantano. Yeah. Can I introduce you to to that marriage? <laughs> exactly, and it feels that way. It really does. Where what's the the Bailey kid up there in Tennessee? Where he should be getting more and more snaps, uh, getting ready for next year. But you know, and, and I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll be surprised to hear me say that on the the quarterback position right now. There have been a lot of just really unfortunate things that have happened in the quarterback room at Georgia the last Mm. several years. I personally, and this is my kind of fandom coming out, forgive me for this, Mm. uh, being a radio show host, I blame Justin Fields for leaving Georgia. I I blame Jamie Newman for... He did not give himself nearly enough time to prove that he was the better quarterback. When you step into Mm. a 2018 season with Jake Fromm coming into his sophomore year, just led Georgia to the national championship game uh, with a Rose Bowl victory, 11-win regular season, a really, really good year, and Justin Fields rolls in, gets some uh, playing time. Uh, Kirby did put him out there pretty much every single game at some point or another, and I encourage anybody that thinks that Justin Fields was just ready to go and should have been the starter over Jake Fromm, he was not ready in 2018. He made you scratch your heads a lot. He just didn't play well at all. Uh, he had a couple good runs. He made some really sketchy throws here and there. He got sacked a lot uh, behind the line. He was not ready. And then as soon as the season comes to a close, he just decides to up and transfer. And when people say, oh, well, Kirby should have played him. Kirby should have kept him around. Justin Fields quit. <laughs> Justin Fields left his teammates and decided he wanted to go to a different program that would give him playing time right away. I think he was of the belief uh, that Jake Fromm was going to be around for a couple more years, and he didn't feel like he was – getting all the love that he may have been talked about in recruiting. But, no, I, I, well, I go back probably to the right Justin there, right? situation. Like he ended up being right. He, he was kind of indicated. I mean, he, he, he read the tea leaves. He saw where things were going and was just like – but also, the field team – He's had having a forget. great run at Ohio State. Yeah. However, if you go back to the beginning of 2019 mm. and look at Jake Fromm, I, I will, I'll, this is a hot take. This is a, a prediction. There's no way to prove it. If Justin Fields sticks around for 2019, you are talking about Justin Fields as the starter for Georgia week two or three at the latest, at the absolute latest, and would have had a really good team around him. And then this is what eats up Georgia fans, myself included. I cannot watch Ohio State football right now. Mm. It pains me to do it. I cannot watch Justin Fields ball out knowing that that should have been what Georgia has on its roster. But he, he left too quick. He left too soon. Did you ever see the soundbite in 2018 of Fields leading 
the field in Columbia, South Carolina. I have not. Where, uh, where Georgia won the game. I forgot the final score. It was like 38-14, to 14, something, something very lopsided. And uh, as we're walking off the field, a, a local news camera caught Justin Fields. Uh, can I cuss on your show, Chase? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he said, he said, I didn't do shit. I, I didn't do I didn't do shit. That that's what Justin Fields was saying as he's going off the field, upset he didn't get more playing time and a blowout win over South Carolina. He mm-hmm. wanted to be the man in in 2018 as a freshman, but he wasn't ready for it. And then uh, Kirby Smart didn't throw him out there that year. But again, 2019, no way to prove it. I am thoroughly convinced that he would have been the starter early, would have had a great season last year, and then he may have uh, led Georgia to a very, very promising place this year had we had a Justin Fields the entire season. And it, it, it's painful, Chase. It really is. It's just hard. I think that I also just think that we forget that he was committed to Penn State first, and that right. would have been a much better landing spot for him. And at the time, sure. I was like, this is weird because it wasn't it, there, Jacob Eason, five star, number one mm-hmm. prospect. Like he's sitting there. This is before the injury. You have Fromm on the board. You're like, when I saw this, I was like, I don't. I don't really know. I understand the hometown thing, but like, why would you? Uh, Penn State's a much better situation. Yeah. Um, you have a chance to start right away. It's a less crowded quarterback room. It's not going to be very hard for you to beat out Sean Clifford. Like, I don't, I don't really know why that wasn't talked about more. Of just like these kids, sometimes, especially the five stars, where they just go to the bigger name schools. But it's just like you have to look at the quarterback room and you have to look at your your just how long it's going to take. And I think Kirby is probably a lot more. <sighs> I, if I had to guess, this is um, just from my perspective. If I had to guess, is Fields wanted certainty, and Kirby would never give him certainty. And sure. I think that is something that scares the crap out of a lot of these kids because they only have a finite number of years to make this all work. And to like, Fields is going to go number two in the draft probably, and it worked out. But like, there was a, a multitude of ways this could have backfired if he could have gone to Ohio State. Look at Joe Burrow. Like, Joe Burrow went number one, but, like, he flamed out at Ohio State, didn't get a shot, and then it worked out. But, like, that year before, even at LSU, just transferring, that was mm-hmm. not a good year. He was not good. And then, he obviously, Joe Brady comes in and then salvages everything. But Joe Burrow was one bad season away from going undrafted yeah. this year. He was one yeah, more forgettable absolutely. college football season. Like, it's just so hard. So, I... I'm usually pre- I'm not very hard on these superstar kids who just like who bounce around or do things that um, are short sighted or they, like it, there's no there's no recipe for success and there's no right answer to a lot of this stuff. I think it's complicated. I think they get advice from a lot of different people, including yeah. their family, friends, coaches. They don't know who to trust. They uh, they get a lot of information thrown at them. I. I don't know. I don't envy uh, the situation that a lot of these guys find themselves in. Um, coaches, players, everybody. There's a uh, you're familiar with Gunnar Stockton, the five star quarterback yes. up in uh, Raven County, Georgia, right now. He's the class of 2022. Now Georgia already has a commit uh, from Brock Vandegrift right mm-hmm. here in Athens, a five star kid in 2021. There are a lot of Georgia fans right now. We've had this conversation on our show, that now that uh, Coach uh, Muschamp has been fired from South Carolina, we don't know what the future is in Columbia, mm-hmm. there's a lot of mindset that, okay, the kid uh, Gunnar Stockton grew up a Georgia fan. Let's go get him. Let's go get that kid and uh, make him a Georgia Bulldog. But there's a lot of fans also, Chase, because of the last couple of years, they don't want anything to do with Gunnar Stockton. They want one or the other when it comes to Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar because inevitably one of them is going to wind up transferring. One of them mm, is going to yeah. maybe on bad terms. Who knows? I mean, you can put the chances, honestly, about, what, 95%. If, if two of those guys 
a Brock Vandegrift and a Gunnar Stockton found themselves on the same roster in today's college football landscape, one of them will leave. Mm-hmm. And that's just like as close to a fact as you can get with it still being an assumption is that one of them will leave. And then all that's going to do is create questions about what if the other guy was here? What if, what if it went a different direction? I think Georgia fans are a little tired of having a stacked-up quarterback room just to see these guys leave and have success elsewhere. And, and Georgia has some good quarterback play right now. I'm very, very high on JT Daniels. I love that the kid came in. I was excited to see Jamie Newman. Unfortunately, didn't get to see him. Stetson Bennett, nobody, and I mean nobody in the Georgia circle expected him to see any playing time this year, let alone start several games. Mm-hmm. And then Dwan Mathis just kind of, you know, didn't live up to his billing the way we had hoped that he would and kind of reports this week that he's actually left the program. We haven't confirmed it yet, but it uh, sounds like he may be heading back up to maybe a Michigan State or somewhere else next year. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think Georgia fans really are hoping that we can keep that quarterback room to a minimum going forward so we can focus on one person, one player, because it has become distracting. It has become a little bit of a what-if game as we watch Justin Fields play uh, up at Ohio State. We, had, we watched Jacob Eason have a decent year at Washington. Uh, and doesn't mean that Jake Fromm did not have a great career at Georgia. It's just, unfortunately, the what-ifs kind of play, play in your head a little bit too much. So I think right now fans are excited about JT Daniels being the guy next year. Uh, probably will wind up leaving after that year. And then, then hopefully Brock Vandegrift as a sophomore having learned for a year, will be ready to take the reins over then. And we'd be just fine if it went just like that. We don't need any other quarterbacks jumping in here trying to, uh, you know, shake it up, and then we just play the what-if game again. We're sick of that, Chase. But I think that's just part of big-time college football. It is. I, I, and, and, I, and it's just part of the you game. You have to recruit. You have to. you yes. got to sign what you can get. Uh, Kirby will never say that we're, oh, we're, we don't need this five-star yeah. kid, even though he wants to come here because we've already got one. That's not the way he operates. No. And I don't, but, think, uh, but the, it, I don't think that is how you should there operate. There was a defensive quarterback. Um, the good thing about Gunnar Stockton, for Georgia fans who are worried mm-hmm. about having both, is I'm pretty sure his coach is yeah. Connor Shaw's brother, right? And Connor right. Shaw is staying with the South Carolina program, it seems like, yeah. long-term. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It was just a conversation. You're absolutely right there. The chances of him flipping to Georgia are very, very slim, and I wouldn't count on it at all. But I think, again, I think a lot of Georgia fans view that as a good thing right now. Yeah. We also just don't know. I have no earthy idea right. who's going to be a better college quarterback, Vandergriff or Stockton. I, I, none, none of us know. We, we don't know. The, the stars matter ultimately, but like we don't. it happens and it flames out and there's a lot more that goes into good quarterbacking. What kind of offensive line do you have? What kind of, how many quarterback change or uh, offensive coordinator changes do you have in the program? Right. Do you have a head coaching change before you even get there? Um, Garantano's had like a billion. And uh, yeah, this is, you never know. Um, how that's going to go what in your estimation through two weeks of JT Daniels has been the biggest difference from what you've seen from him in this offense than what Georgia fans saw from Stetson Bennett what's outside of the fact that he can see over the offensive line yeah besides being able to see just accuracy Mm -hmm. the kids not only does he have a cannon he can throw the ball The, the the touchdown pass to Arian Smith the true freshman receiver this week ball went 43 yards through the air effortlessly. It looked like JT just kind of like flicked his wrist. Uh, the, the strength is there, but the accuracy in two games, very small sample size we've had so far, is something that we have not seen in Stetson Bennett or Dwan Mathis at all this year. There have been so many open and missed receivers. Uh, it still haunts my dreams. Uh, th- th- there was a couple of plays, I think two times, 
a, a Georgia receiver, got behind the Florida secondary, long throw, just completely misthrown. It's a completely different ball game if you hit on one of those two. Uh, but it, it's just the accuracy for the two quarterbacks, Dwan and uh, Stetson, has just flat out not been there, where JT Daniels is putting balls on the absolute money right now. Uh, whether it's the deep ball, a mid-route, or even just sort of a short throw, uh, he looks really, really good doing it. I don't think we've seen enough to really understand his game uh, managing potential. I hate that term, by the way, game manager, but you get my point. I haven't seen him really go through a game where he has to adjust things and read defenses and make calls. He had a lot of one-on-ones against Mississippi State, uh, threw for 400 yards in the process, and then he just really wasn't unleashed against South Carolina because the run game was working so good. But so far, for the first time in a while, we look like we have what could potentially, not right now, but potentially uh, be the first Georgia quarterback that could be drafted since Matt Stafford back in 2009. Let that soak in that Georgia's gone through that many quarterbacks. I'm sorry, I take that back. Aaron Murray was drafted but did not play a lot in the NFL. But you know what I'm saying. We could actually have a potential player in the NFL down the road, which we haven't felt we have that in a long, long time. Yeah, and I think <laughs> now it's just it's amazing that the the reaction has just been, so why wasn't he playing forever, right? Oh, like what, please, what, what stop, what's going on? Stop, stop, I, it, He was not ready. <laughs> it's flat out. Yeah. I'm not saying you stop, Chase. I'm saying we, we hear that all the time yeah. from people that, oh, why, where was he? Why, why have we not seen him? All season long, and I'm going to tell you this on good regard, I've, I've got sources like everybody else does in a college town. Mm. JT was still getting his knee drained regularly just a few weeks ago. This kid is, is barely able to play right now in terms of a clean bill of health. Mm-hmm. What we've seen has been great. I do think he's there at the point where he is able to play on a weekly basis, but the whole thing about, oh, Kirby's been sitting on this all season is, is nothing in the world but a product of people on social media with a voice. Mm. It, it, he was not ready. He was, he was not physically able to go for a while. Just because you're cleared for football activity does not mean you are ready to play. Mm. And I think it was uh, Kirby's father spoke to a Dog Nation. I'm, not, I'm sorry, Kirby's father. JT's father spoke to Dog Nation last week after the Mississippi State game. And uh, he basically said, you know, I'm glad that he was held out longer. My son was not the same most of the season or even back in the offseason he was not his old self. He was not ready to play. He needed conditioning uh, to get back into that game form. And unfortunately for Georgia fans, we're just now seeing that. Uh, but no, this is far from anything Kirby Smart botched. The only thing he botched was the PR behind it. Yes. I, I wish he would have flat out stood in front of a, a, a podium and said, JT is not ready. Instead, he kept calling Stetson the best option, Yeah, which a lot of people took that as, oh, well, he's better than uh, JT Daniels in your mind right now. Yes, That's not the case. I think Kirby, and look, the SID And he didn't want to take away some awesome. confidence. He, he knew exactly. that he, Stetson was his only guy, so he had to back him. But it's also like, exactly. you can't have it both ways. And also, you could have appeased a lot of these fans if you had just said, this guy's not healthy. Like, I don't think it would yeah. have been crazy to just say, JT Daniels, we like what we've seen so far. But he's not ready. He's not healthy. Stetson's our guy. It, it he's healthy, been, and he's out playing. A, it, it would have settled a lot of debate. <laughs> I, in a way, I'm glad he didn't because we had a lot more callers in our radio mm. show talking about it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I wish he would have. Uh, but Kirby Smart operates. It, it's almost annoying because working in media, trying to pry questions and answers out of him regularly, he is the most shrouded individual I've ever had to work around in sports media. If it were up to Kirby, there would be no media. Yep. 
Uh, we would we would unveil the Georgia football program for three hours on a fall Saturday, and then immediately put that <laughs> veil back down and say, "We'll see you next week." He doesn't yeah. want anybody to know anything. And uh, I know a lot of people that have been in this media pool in Athens for many, many years, and they are to the point where they're just frustrated because they cannot get the information they used to be able to get. And uh, that's Kirby style, and, and you know who he learned it from. I mean, over there in Tuscaloosa, he yeah. came right from there. And uh, it's probably not going to change. But, yeah, I, I do think if you want to talk about a botch this year, it's exactly what we just talked about. I would have appreciated Kirby just coming out and saying JT is still in the process of getting ready, not – Stetson is the best option. I don't think he worded it very well, and because he did that, not me and you, but a lot of people out there are still having the conversation of, well, why did Kirby wait? I don't think that's an accurate way to look at it. Last thing in the Georgia quarterback room. JT, one of the things I saw was like the explosive plays. He had a, you, you mentioned his bomb in this game. Like One of the differences with Georgia over the last couple of years, and it just seems like with all the different Georgia quarterbacks that we haven't seen, is just the explosive play option through the air like it just is not how they've played it's not who they've had under center they haven't had someone who just can like pinpoint something down the field put guys in a position where the explosive play factor is a thing like tennessee i think let me check my notes here have negative three explosive uh pass plays this season um if you take away all the josh palmer bucket bombs um early in the season but it's just you need that. Like explosive plays are so important with the way Cotterball has played now, and it helps keep drives alive. And you just, if your offense doesn't have something where they have their guy who can just find those explosive plays when they really need it, Georgia, I think it's fair to say, have not had a quarterback with the talent to do this through the air in a long time. I think Jake Fromm is now kind of underrated at this point, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think anyone's had the actual arm talent that JT Daniels has had at Georgia since probably Stafford, right? Yeah, I would say that's accurate, the arm strength. As far as Jake Fromm goes, he never really had the weapons around him to begin with. I know Miko Hardman had a really good career in Athens and a couple of really good seasons, but even he felt grossly underutilized, especially now that you see what he's doing with the Kansas City Chiefs. But but that that go-to wide receiver has not really been around at Georgia for a while. George Pickens has been phenomenal. I think we've, we've only scratched the surface of his potential. But what you're starting to see in Athens right now, you're seeing Jermaine Burton kind of evolve or emerge as a very, very viable uh, passing option. You're seeing, unfortunately, he got hurt in the Florida game early on. Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, that nasty, nasty uh, broken ankle in the end zone. But, but he is emerging as a very, very good wide receiver uh, Kiaris Jackson's had a really good year, and I think the weapons are finally starting to formulate around the Georgia offense to, to create that threat. I think since then, a lot of defenses have known that they're not going to be a big pass threat. They go into sort of a, a man coverage against some of these guys, and they sell out on the run. And, and again, not knocking Jake Fromm, the numbers speak for themselves, but he's not been that downfield threat like you just mentioned. And, uh, again, small sample size, but I think the conversation around Athens right now and the state of Georgia is – do we finally have a guy that has that cannon to get the ball downfield with the accuracy to really start making these explosive plays come back to Athens? Also, if you do a lot of film study of the games that Georgia's played this year, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, has dialed up some really, really good games. And you can go back on some of the losses, like the two losses to Alabama and Florida, and if you're a Georgia fan, you'll drive yourself mad looking at all the missed checkdowns, the missed open receivers, that Stetson Bennett and Dwan Mathis just flat out did not connect on. 
And I think Georgia very capably could have won one of those two games, maybe not both, uh, but I think Georgia's in a completely different spot right now if JT were healthy the whole time. Unfortunately, just had to deal with some really inaccurate backup quarterbacks throughout the beginning of the season. Yeah. The defense, and this was how we'll, we'll wrap up here today, mm-hmm. Logan. I um, One of the things that I've always gotten frustrated about, and I think Florida sees that a little bit this year with the Grantham stuff and how good their offense is and scoring a bunch of points, and Bama's had to deal with this for the last couple of years, and now there's been some jokes on uh, Georgia Twitter has just been like, welcome to big-time college football where you give up a lot of points and it looks like your defense is falling apart. You had to sacrifice your, yeah. your points allowed, your yards allowed for an elite offense. Like, that's just how it works. And Lincoln Riley's somewhere in the back screaming, like, this is what I've been saying for years and this is why I hired a, a Mr. Grinch to be our DC and just force <laughs> turnovers because, like, if we're going to score 63 a game, like, it's going to be like Dave Aranda, a guy we all universally decided was like the mm-hmm. best defensive coordinator of the last 10 years and just had the stifled defense in LSU. And we just thought LSU was always going to be this. And they had the yep. bodies and they were getting shredded week in, week out. And it didn't matter. They still won a national title. He still parlayed that into a head coaching job. But like, this is part of the game. So I think Dan Lennings is going to be a fall guy where people are like, oh, the defense is just regressing and uh, the defense is not what it used to be and we need someone. It's like, well, no, you can't have an explosive play machine in JT Daniels and have the offense that you want while also winning yeah. 70 to nothing every week, especially playing an SC schedule. Like, it's just not, so, you can't have them both, right? Right. And So early in the season when, when Georgia's defense was absolute lights out, we held Auburn to six points. Six points from Auburn and Bo Nix in Sanford Stadium Week 2. Tennessee, I think, what they had that opening uh, score, the little bot snap by by Georgia. Uh, We don't have to talk about it. But (laughs) but I think in the the grand scheme, Georgia's defense had a pretty good game uh, against Tennessee. They had a pretty decent game against Alabama early on before Jalen Waddle started doing Jalen Waddle things. But I cannot stress enough lately how much these injuries have just absolutely hurt Georgia's defense. If you would have picked two names preseason that said Georgia cannot function defensively without these two guys, it would have been Richard LeCount and Jordan Davis. Both of those guys have been out for several weeks now. Jordan Davis, I think the report was like a broken elbow against Kentucky. He's been practicing again, but not fully. We haven't seen him since then. But Richard LeCount, when he got in that motorcycle accident after the Kentucky game, and he's still not expected to play anytime soon, maybe in a bowl game if he decides to do so. He was, and forgive me, I hate this term too, the quarterback of the defense, the guy that runs things on the field for the defense was Richard LeCount. That's why if you go back and watch the Mississippi State game, that there's, there's a bunch of guys, Lewis Seen, maybe a, a, a Eric Stokes, all kind of fussing at each other on what to do because Richard LeCount wasn't out there to guide them through a lot of situations. A Florida being Florida... It pains me, Chase, but I'll credit Kyle Trask and that Florida offense. They're pretty damn good. And they just shredded a a depleted Georgia defense. There's Mm. nothing Georgia could have done about it that day. But these injuries are absolutely killer right now. I would love to see a fully healthy Georgia defense right now with the offense that is starting to emerge here because, unfortunately, it took, what, ten or eight games into the season to figure it out. But Georgia can be good on both sides of the ball. Right now, it's just it's just hurting. It's hurting bad right now. That, that stinks for Georgia fans. 
I am very fascinated to see what it looks like next year. And whenever, like, yeah. I'm just not hard on everybody. Like, this is just a year where I'm just like, let's just get through it. I'm not overreacting mm-hmm. to a lot of stuff. Coaches are losing guys day over day. Like, it's just, this is hard. This is, this is hard for everybody. I, I just, I'm just enjoying what I get. I'm not yep. just, I'm not losing it, not losing any sleep over it. I'm not like some certain Knoxville fans that are losing their absolute <laughs> minds at Jarrett Garantano and writing it out. And like, I, yep. it, it's whatever. Caden Salter might be here next year. Cody Brown's on the way. Part View alum. Uh, I don't think we got any Burkmar guys, uh, to my knowledge. Because I, I, I you're a Burkmar guy, right? <laughs> I lead that. Yeah, Burkmar. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, there have been maybe like three division one football players that have ever come out of, of Bergmar. So I'm don't count any Bergmar guys to save the Tennessee program. Well you did have Quavo, right? Didn't Quavo go to Bergmar? He was, yeah. He was he he was a quarterback about five or six years after uh, I was gone. So okay. I, I never never knew Quavo, but yes he is a Bergmar alum. Logan Booker and Quavo from off uh from Migos. <laughs> I've always thought y'all went one and the same. Yeah, throw Rodrigo Blankenship in that mm. circle as well. You're talking about a really good album that could drop pretty soon, man. Last question. We'll wrap up here. Um, yeah, man. How does the season end for Georgia? What it, What are your expectations? Georgia should have absolutely no problem with Vanderbilt this week. Mm. Uh, we, we all Down watched Vanderbilt Seals. play Missouri. God, I, we were all hoping to see Sarah Fuller kick a, a ball, and in in the process of us wanting to see that, we all were forced to watch a lot of Vanderbilt football last weekend. It's horrible, absolutely horrible. This this and forgive me. 45 to 3, 45 to 7 is what I'm expecting this weekend in Sanford mm. Stadium. Then the following week, if Georgia Missouri happen, which the SEC is saying they do want to make it happen, not a not a major blowout, but I think Georgia should be able to handle a uh, a Missouri team in Columbia. Now, when you get to bowl season, Georgia obviously not going to be in the college football playoff. I think if you finish 8 and 2, there is a legit chance you may have seen this uh, this bowl projection. What if Georgia and Cincinnati play in the Peach Bowl? I oh, don't I would know be what's really happen. really bummed out. I'm not gonna lie because I think Georgia probably wins, and then people are like, "See, this is why we can't do this." This <laughs> See, is I, I actually think the Hawaii opposite. stuff I, I, all over I, again. I worry that Georgia will have several people opt out, mm. and, and I get it. I don't love it, but I get it when players don't want to play in a bowl game. I could see where Cincinnati thinks, like, we could make a point here that we've never made before. Let's go beat Georgia in the state of Georgia. All their players buy into that. Georgia plays with an already depleted defense, and that Cincinnati offense is no joke. I could see that thing getting into a shootout. I could see maybe, like, a, a 45 to 41 final score with, uh, with Cincinnati possibly on top. And if you want to watch Georgia fans lose their minds, they, they will do that if Cincinnati beats them in the Peach Bowl. And I think we would get over it pretty soon and, and get optimistic about 2021. But I, I actually, I fear, Chase, we could end the 2020 season with a little bit of a sour taste in our mouth because the bowl game is going to go the way of the 2018 Sugar Bowl where Texas beat Georgia when Texas really didn't have business beating Georgia, but all of Georgia's best players sat out. And, and Texas thought, man, this is a chance to make a statement, and they did to their credit. But I, I've got this fear in the back of my mind, Chase. I, I don't want to play Cincinnati. And if we do, i got this, I got this very big fear. We might lose that game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it before. It goes either way, where if Georgia wins, it's like, see, told you so. Georgia loses, yep. it's like, what? Oh, it's the, a lose-lose for Georgia if you play Cincinnati. There's no doubt about that. I just, I would love a friend of the pod, Matt, who's we did the show, uh, the the college football national show um, today mm-hmm. and uh, Thursdays, and um, I, I just, 
I think about my family, who's just all big Georgia fans, and uh, just how they rationalize Baylor and Texas. Like, if you want to really like make a, a Georgia fan's brain just like explode, mm-hmm. expl- ask them to explain why the Baylor win <laughs> was impressive and the Texas win didn't matter. Just explain right. to oh, me yeah. why one was they- counted and one was not. Explain the. the I, I don't understand, but Trust I think that's me, just it's, part it's- of being a fan. I think talking about it over and over, morning mm-hmm. after morning, it's, it's still hard to explain. It's, it's one of those, if for Texas, Georgia didn't want to be there for the second go-round. Yeah. <laughs> Kirby did a coaching job because he got his players to buy in. It's, the truth be told, and I hate this about college football because I'm such a diehard fanatic when it comes to the world's greatest sport, the playoff did ruin bowl season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely ruined bowl season. To where now you're li- you're disappointed about being in the Sugar Bowl, you've got players opting out of playing in the Sugar Bowl. Let's go back to like five or ten years and have the same conversation. You think what the hell are you guys talking about? And unfortunately, the playoff has done that. Now, at the same time, I do love the playoff. I think it's great. I love what it's doing in those two games and the plus one. But what it's done to the rest of bowl season is is really a shame. I, I hate I hate that it's become a non important part of the season. I'm actually a proponent of the BCS slogan. Sorry. I'm with you. Sorry Thank you. I listeners. found somebody. Yeah, no. It's... I, I, I found you. We, 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 we were here the whole time. I liked yeah. the BCS. I I think if you, if you go back and do a study, it got it right like 90% of the time. Yeah. There was one or two years you could legitimately have a gripe. But I liked the BCS. So yeah, I'd, I'd go back to it. I, I don't want more playoff. And I think we're going the opposite way. I think we're, we're on the outside here. Oh. I think they're going to keep... Look, look. You just enjoy the regular season less. And I just think people have Alabama-Clemson syndrome now where they just see this over and over again and those being the only two schools that matter. But when you have a playoff system like they do, they become the only schools that matter. And right. I don't I don't think you'll enjoy being a fan. Like Tennessee fans who can't just enjoy seasons and compare themselves to Georgia and Bama and, and um, LSU last year where it's like, why can't – well, you, you – Stop, just enjoy this weekend. Enjoy beating Kentucky this weekend. Enjoy yep. like what you get to see because like ultimately, you're probably not going to be Alabama. You're probably not going to become Clemson. You're probably not going to even become Georgia. Like You just don't have the recruiting opportunities that Georgia has. Like You're just not going to be that. What you can be is maybe like solid 7-5, and 8-4 and four for 4 or 5 years. And mm-hmm. then you hope for an Auburn run. You go 10-2, and 11-1, and one, and some luck goes your way and you find yourself in yep. a national title game. That is really what the hope should be for most schools around the country. It's like that you you want that kind of we beat our rival, we go a little bit f- over 500, maybe win a couple more every year. We know that we're going to be competent. We have some good offenses. We have memorable rivalry games. But ultimately, college football is about the season. The NFL should be about the playoffs and about the Super Bowl and about building the best team because everyone has the same opportunity to be great. The Falcons have yep. just as much of an opportunity as the Patriots. Vanderbilt does not have an opportunity to win a national title. There is not one Ole Miss fan, I believe, that actually thinks in their lifetime they will see Ole Miss win a national title. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Mississippi State is well, they, never going to win a national title game. But they're not playing for that. as close as you'll get by cheating with Hugh Freeze. That, that's about your, your ceiling, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's not even a, so, like, that's not you, a long-term man. plan. Like, that's, it's going to backfire at some point. I would like to, and I, I would love to be around college football media the rest of my life. I've really found something that makes me happy, but I've, I have vowed to always do what you just said, to enjoy the week-by-week games, enjoy the rivalries that other people around the nation may not care about. I was heartbroken. We didn't get to beat up on Georgia Tech this week. 
I, I found little to no joy in, in playing and beating South Carolina. I was jealous that Duke got to play Georgia Tech. That was our game. We're supposed to play Tech the Saturday after Thanksgiving. But I, I like those things. I, I like the just rivalries that college football produces. And it's not all about winning the championship. Of course, that's everybody's goal. Not a single program out there doesn't put that as their top goal. But there's so much more to this sport to enjoy than just that, that I vow to kind of never, never let that go, man. Even, even if the playoff did kind of ruin bowl season for us. We're on the same page. Bring back bowl yeah, season. Man. All right, yeah. Logan. Well, this has been great. Uh, what yeah, can man. just remind the people how to uh, how do we tune in and follow you on Twitter and all that great stuff? Yeah, Twitter at Logan M Booker. It's uh, and yeah, nine sixty the ref in Athens, Georgia. It's a uh, Cox Media Group station, but uh, there's an app nine sixty the ref free in iTunes or just nine sixty the ref dot com six to ten every single morning. Uh, I co-host the morning show. Good God, man! When do you get up in the morning? My alarm, my first alarm goes off around 4.15. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm in studio probably a few minutes after 5 mm. and uh, getting all ready. But then, but here's the beauty of it. I love this about my job is that I leave the station around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and I done. am done for the day. Yeah. Done. I mean, you, sports media never stops. You're always watching for stuff. You're keeping an eye on things. But I can go hike whenever I want to. I can go play golf, and the wife doesn't even know because I'm home before she is. Well, now she knows if she life. listens to this podcast. Now exactly, she knows. and she will. Exactly. <laughs> Logan, this has been great catching up. Keep up the great yeah, work, man. sir. Um, maybe Tennessee will win another game by the time you come back. We'll, we'll see. Fingers crossed. You never I'm, know. I'm, I'm, my fingers are crossed. I, I'm excited to get up to Knoxville next year. It really is my favorite road trip in Georgia. I love going and getting a cabin in the Smokies, checking out the game and tailgating in Vol Navy. I, 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 I don't hate Tennessee like a lot of Georgia guys do. All right. Well, you're you're welcome back anytime for that nice nice Thanks, closing buddy. remark, Logan. Thank you as always, sir. Be safe out there and uh, happy holidays. Nice talking to you, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.